Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. When we think about Christmas, we all have stories. Uh, Some of our stories are filled with the stereotypical things, gifts and candy and stockings and all those kind of things. Some of our stories are a little sadder. Some of our stories deal with heartache and loss. Uh, maybe this is the first holiday you're dealing, uh, going through without a loved one. Maybe it's the first Christmas that you don't have a parent or a sibling. Uh, and so sometimes our stories are difficult and, and filled with tragedy. But the truth is all of us have stories. And we want to look at some stories, some biblical stories of Christmas and how they apply to us even today. Um, for me, uh, I used to love Christmas time when I was a kid. One of my favorite things is in the fall, late fall, um, we would get mail to our house. And some of you remember mail. It comes in the mailbox. It's paper. Uh, but we would get mail. And uh, I don't know about you, but one of the things I looked forward to every year was getting the Christmas catalogs. Does anybody remember Christmas catalogs? So for me, at our house growing up in the South in Oklahoma, we would get uh, the JCPenney Christmas catalog, the Sears Christmas catalog, and then we had a store called Service Merchandise. Does anybody remember Service Merchandise? Uh, I think they had some up here maybe. And so we would get these catalogs, and I would be meticulous about this. I would get all the catalogs, and I would itemize what I wanted, and I would circle all the items that I wanted, and I would document them, and I would put them in order from the ones I wanted most to the ones I wanted least, and I would study this thing. And these were the things I wanted badly because I knew for sure if I can just get the Millennium Falcon, my life will be made complete, <laughs> Right? I would say things to my parents like, Mom and Dad, if you just get me the G.I. Joe battle carrier, I'm sure that I'll never want a gift the rest of my life. I will be so completely fulfilled that I will never desire another gift ever if you'll just get me this gift. And so from the moment those catalogs would come till Christmas Day, there was this this battle in my soul of this waiting and this anticipation and this hoping to get what I was longing for. And I would begin dreaming about and thinking about what could be. What if I just get what I want? It'll be so great. My life will be awesome. All the kids will think I'm the coolest. Because I'll be honest with you, one of my friends got the, uh, the carrier, the G.I. Joe carrier, Oh, I was so jealous. It took up like half of his bedroom. Oh. But I thought my life would be so much better if I can just get what I'm hoping for. And for us as adults, we don't grow out of that necessarily. I think what we want changes. But for many of us sitting in this room today, many of you watching online right now, you have a similar thing you're going through. If I could just have this prayer answered, if this would just happen, if this relationship could just be reconciled, God, if you could just help me get through this financial issue, God, if you could just, my life would be better. I'd be more fulfilled. I'll be happier. God, I'll promise if you'll just do this, then I will. And we do the same thing with God even today. And it's hard to wait, isn't it? Especially when we're desiring something, when we're praying for something. And the human condition hasn't changed that much over thousands of years. And when we look back at Scripture, there was a guy that we're going to look at today. His name was Zechariah, that he longed for something. He was hoping for something. He was praying for something. And, and the challenge he had was waiting So the title of my message today is just Waiting for Christmas. And we're going to look at a a man named Zechariah. He's found in Luke chapter 1. 
And so we'll begin reading there in verse 5, and it says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And now this was the eighth division of 24 divisions of priests. And it said, and he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and that was a daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now what we see here is, is uh, the author is setting up the story. So Luke is setting up the story to help us understand what's going on. Uh, so what we have is this husband and wife, uh, Zechariah and his wife was Elizabeth. Uh, they were godly people, they were righteous people. And what it says is that they were advanced in years, so we know that they were older, and we also know that they were barren. Um, now today, if you can't have a child, that's challenging. I know people in my life personally that I know and love that they struggle having kids, and it's such a personal struggle for them. They, they, it's so hard because they long for that, they desire that, but for whatever reason, they haven't been able to, to achieve that. They haven't been able to have a child. Uh, but in biblical times, it was very different because in biblical times, there was a stigma that rested on people who couldn't have kids. And there was a stigma socially that, that this idea that, they had done something wrong. They had been cursed by God. And so that they were somehow marked. And so people who couldn't have kids carried this with them their whole lives. Um, and so what we have to see is these were faithful people. They loved God. They were righteous before the Lord. And yet they couldn't have kids. And it infers this here, but it actually confirms it later, that they had probably been praying, God, help us have a child. And some of you... Um, You've prayed prayers and you've thought, maybe if I was just a little holier, maybe if I was a little nicer, God would answer my prayer. Maybe if I went to church a little more, God would answer my prayer. And what we see here is a case that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous before God. They, they kept the commandments. They were faithful to the Lord. They prayed diligently for a child. And for whatever reason, God did not answer their prayer in the way that they wanted. So I just want to encourage you today, if you're here and you've been praying and waiting for God to respond to your prayer, maybe it's not because you're not good enough. Maybe it's just not quite God's timing yet. So let's continue on in verse 8. It says, Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So again, I just want to paint the picture for you. Um, of these 24 divisions of priests, uh, they were divided differently. They had different roles and responsibilities. And then there were some things that there was a rotation. So each division would rotate. And then even in that division, there was a number of men who would serve as priests. And so even in the division, they might have a job, but only one person would do it. So they might draw lots uh, or, or draw straws to see who was going to do that. And so on this particular day, they had to burn incense in the holy place. Now in the temple of God, this is the temple that, that Herod built. Um, he had expanded on the original temple design and, um, and he had built this, this massive, beautiful temple. And some of the temple still is in existence today. Actually, the Western Wall in Israel, which is known as the Wailing Wall, that is part of the foundation of the temple of Herod that he built. Um, and so the, this temple was beautiful. 
beautiful. It was gorgeous. And the, the, the most holy place in the temple was the Holy of Holies. Now, in the ancient temple, this is where the Ark of the Covenant rested. This is where uh, the manifest presence of God was. So by this time, the Ark of the Covenant was gone. It was not there. But this was still considered the most holy place. Just outside of the most holy place, uh, there was a, a large, thick curtain that divided the most holy place from the holy place. So this is where, this holy place is where Zechariah entered in. He would go in to burn incense as an offering unto the Lord. So uh, there were a couple of items in that room, symbolic, and we won't get into all that, but this is what he was doing. Now, when he was doing this, the nation, the people who came to worship, knew what was going on, and they were worshiping outside in the appropriate place for them to be. There were different places based on um, People who were non-Jewish couldn't even go into the outer courts. They had to be outside of this, this dividing wall. And then inside there could be Jewish women. And there was different places for all these different people. And so they were all waiting so they could worship together in this moment. And this is something that happened regularly. Uh, and so they, they knew the prescribed time. They knew how long it would take. And this took a little longer in this particular moment for some reason. The people outside didn't know what was going on, but you're about to find out what was going on. Verse 11, it says, And there appeared to him, so he goes into this, the holy place, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Um, uh, have you ever been scared by somebody? Uh, Maybe you didn't expect someone to be there, and then you saw them, and it startled you, right? I like to do that with our staff. <laughs> I think it was last week we talked about um, fathers don't antagonize your kids, but it doesn't say anywhere about antagonizing your staff. So I feel like that's probably a gray area for me morally. Anyway, uh, it's funny, though, because if you go back to our office area, right outside the main office door, uh, the first door you come to when you come in is this little kitchenette area. It's got a microwave and a refrigerator and a little sink. And so sometimes I'll be in there doing something or getting a drink, and I'll hear somebody jingling their keys. They're about to come into the door. So what I will do is I will just turn and get in the corner and wait. And so they will come through, and I'll just jump out and go, Ah! And it's not terribly frightening, but they're not expecting it. And they're certainly not <laughs> expecting me to do it. And so it's funny how often, um, it's funny to me how often I can get people, even though I've done this a bunch of times. So I did this to Pastor Christine, our new kids pastor. Like I initiated her, like first day she was on staff, I hear the keys. I didn't know who it was. I mean, I didn't have any idea. So I'm an equal opportunity scarer is what I am. So... <laughs> But I, what, what happens? They weren't expecting me to jump out, and to, right? But So something unexpected happened. And this is what happens here as well. Um, have you ever been, if you've got kids, you might understand this. My kids were great. They would stay in their bed at night when they were little. But once in a while, they would get out because they needed something. And they wouldn't like, say, Daddy, I need you. They would just stand and stare at me until I woke up. Now, this passage says that Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel of the Lord. There's nothing more troubling than when you wake up and see a child standing over you, the, you know, the light coming through, and it's just kind of eerie, and they're like staring at you. It's just creepy, right? It's troubling because you're not expecting it. And this is what was happening. So Zechariah had done this before. He'd experienced this before. He knew what to expect. And what he saw was not something he was expecting. He sees the angel of the Lord. So it says that he was troubled. And the word for troubled here, it's interesting. It's the Greek word terasso. And it means to cause inward commotion or to stir up. 
to strike one's spirit with fear or dread. And, and you know what's interesting is so many times we think of Christianity and we think Christianity is all about God making us comfortable and making us happy and just making us fulfilled. And that's what Christianity is about. But I will tell you, so many times in our life, God's purpose is to stir us up or to cause us to be troubled in our spirit, if I can say it that way. And we think if, if we're uncomfortable, it must not be God. And if, if I'm not happy and totally comfortable, this must not be the Lord. But I'm telling you today, one of God's purposes is to give us this holy discomfort that will move us from this place to, to another place, to help us see something that we wouldn't have seen otherwise. And in this moment, he was uncomfortable, he was stirred up, but it was definitely God. And so I want to challenge you today, I want to push back on this belief that is propagated sometimes, that in church, if you're really good with God, you're always going to be comfortable and happy and healthy and everything's going to be perfect in your life. That's not what the Bible says. And that is not what we see in this picture here. Because what God does is he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stir up Zechariah. I'm going to help him experience something he's never seen before so he might be able to do something he's ever done before. It actually says that he was afraid. And this is not like a holy fear, like a reverent fear. The word here is phobos. It's where we get the word phobia in our language today. Uh, and it's an irrational fear. So he was afraid. He was terrified of what he saw in that moment. And again, uh, just because something is scary doesn't mean it's not God. Because God asks us to do scary things all the time. So he's afraid. He was, he was disturbed. He was agitated. Verse 13 says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. You shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Listen to this, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in spirit, in the spirit of, in power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers toward the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And so what the angel of the Lord says to him here is, hey, your prayers have been answered. Let me tell you about how incredible your son's going to be. Let me tell you about, it, it, we're not just going to answer your prayers. God is going to answer your prayers, and then he's going to exceed what you've even prayed for. How many of you would like to see God do that in your life? Like, I don't want you to just answer my prayers. I want you to exceed what I'm even asking for. I would love that, right? And we would think that he would be rejoicing, that he would be high-fiving the angel of the Lord, like, this is the greatest day of my life, right? But there's a couple things I want us to notice in this passage. The first thing is this. He says, your prayers have been heard. And sometimes, isn't it, isn't it just refreshing to know that our prayers have been heard? Because, man, if we've been praying for something and praying for something and praying and waiting and waiting and waiting, don't we start to feel like our prayers aren't even being heard? God, I want you to take this pain away. God, I want you to take this hurt away. God, I want you to reconcile this relationship. Can you do it? Can you do it? And we pray and pray and pray and pray. And then we start to wonder, can, are you even hearing what I'm saying, God? I, I don't doubt that you can do it, but do you even hear what I'm saying? So the angel of the Lord, this is so beautiful, he comes to Zechariah and he says, hey, your prayers have been heard. How reassuring is that? I want to say that to you today. Maybe you're here today and you've been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. I just want you to know your prayers are heard. Scripture tells us that they're heard. But, but what the angel of the Lord made clear to Zechariah is that the timing wasn't right before. 
We'll talk more about God's timing in just a moment. Another thing we see here is in verse 15. He says, for he will be great before the Lord. And I love this. Um, because what he's saying is, one of the purposes for Zechariah's son, who was going to be named John, by the way, this is John the Baptist. So if you know church, you know your church history, John the Baptist was a relative of Jesus, and he was a forerunner for the Christ. And so this is what we see here that the angel of the Lord is starting to tell him about. Uh, but I just want to put this in context to help you understand who we're talking about. So he, he says, hey, um, John's purpose is not just to be great, but he's going to be great in the eyes of the Lord which is so important because as I look at my own life and I look back and reflect on my life, there have been seasons and there have been times in my life that I was far more concerned about being great in the eyes of people than I was in being great in the eyes of the Lord. That my focus would get off and I'd think, I wonder if I was impressive to them. I wonder if they liked me. I wonder if I can get them to like me a little more. And those are the wrong motivations in our lives. Um, and so what... The angel of the Lord, what Gabriel says to Zechariah is, hey, he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Now, if we look at the life of John the Baptist, we won't give you a full history, but what Scripture tells us in the Gospels, in Matthew and both Matthew and Mark, it says that um, he preached predominantly in the wilderness, so he was in the desert, and he dressed appropriately. So he dressed in camel skins, and he wore a leather belt, and he was probably pretty unkept. Uh, scripture tells us that his diet con uh, consisted of, um, he had a steady diet of wild honey and a locust. Now, you think your morning breath is bad? Yeah, this guy, his morning breath was rotten, right? He was pr probably pretty unkept in his beard, in his hair. Um, this was a guy that some people would, uh, would assign a high value to but they were probably poor. They were probably people who didn't have anything. So the higher class people in society, the people who had more wealth or more means, uh, the people who had more, more of a station in life would have regarded John very low, uh, in a very low sense. They would have not have thought much of him. And so what we have to understand is in John's life, we can look back on him and go, man, what an incredible man of God. He was a forerunner for Jesus Christ. The Bible holds him in high esteem, but the world did not hold him in high esteem. And so I know in my life, there have been times that I've been far more concerned about making people happy than God happy. Being great in the eyes of my boss, being great in the eyes of um, people in my church. But God wants us to be concerned about being great in the eyes of the Lord. Let, let me get a little more pointed. I'm just going to warn you. This part's going to make you a little uncomfortable. So just hold on. What the angel of the Lord said to Zechariah is, your son will be great in the eyes of the Lord, which we could all celebrate. We would all want that. But what I've discovered in my life is there are times that my endeavor has been to make my child great in other people's eyes. I want my child to be great in their teacher's eyes, or I want my child to be great in their coach's eyes. And I get more focused on that than I do on them being great in the Lord's eyes. And what happens is I get so focused on these other things that we begin saying things like, uh, well, it's okay if they miss youth because this practice is really important. And all of a sudden what's happened is focus has shifted because we think, well, it's okay. There's time. God understands. But at the end of the day, where's our focus? Who are we endeavoring to please and to keep happy? Um, <laughs> I had a boy after, a teenager after our last service say, I don't know why, um, you, you, I, hope, I hope my mom didn't hear you say that part. 
And I said, how come? And he said, because uh, sometimes she doesn't make me come to youth, but she will now. And I was like, she needs to, right? And I asked him, I said, does, you, does your mom make you go to school? And he said, yeah. I said, it's not optional? He said, no. I said, well, how come she makes you go to school? He said, because she wants me to learn and she wants me to not get in trouble and she wants me to go to college. I was like, yeah. So why should church be optional, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, for us, if we really value our kids' spiritual life, shouldn't we focus on that? Shouldn't we say church isn't optional? Youth isn't optional. I want you to grow in your faith. I want you to know who God is. So just as mandatory as school is, church is not optional. I knew that would get a roaring response that you people just love it. Ricky thought that part was awesome, though. So what does the angel of the Lord say? He says, your prayer has been heard, and then he gives a description of who John the Baptist will be and what he'll do. And it was such a beautiful description, too. He's going to reconcile the nation of Israel. He's going to help prepare the people of Israel for the coming Messiah. Because this is a, this picture of waiting for a child for Zechariah and Elizabeth waiting on John the Baptist is a beautiful picture of the nation of Israel and really the world waiting on a savior. Because for hundreds of years, the, the Israelites have been waiting on the promised Messiah, that he would come eventually, he would be here someday. And so they waited with this longing, this anticipation, this hope. They dreamed about what it might be like, just like me as a child. I would look at that catalog and dream about what might be and hope for and think about. This is the same thing they were doing. They were dreaming about what could be. They were thinking about the possibilities and they were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. So you would think Zechariah would be excited, right? But we see in verse 18, he says this, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And this is how I know that Zechariah was a preacher because he says to the angel of the Lord, how can this be? I am an old man and my wife, she's advanced in years, right? He knew that she would find out if he called her old. So he was like, how can I say this? Uh, <laughs> he says, I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. He was basically saying, uh, I know what we've been praying, but is it even really possible? I know what we've been praying, but are you sure you got the right people? Because we're pretty old. Are you sure? Even though I've been praying for it, I'm not sure, right? So he says, can I have a sign? How shall I know this? Can you give me a sign? And the angel answered him in verse 19. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now, a couple things I want us to point out here. Number one, Zechariah was praying a prayer that he didn't fully believe. <laughs> I want you to catch that for a second because I've been in church a long time and what I've heard in church over and over and over and over again is God can't do it unless you believe it. And you kind of feel a little bit guilty if you don't believe it 100% too. And so what I see here is Zechariah prays and he prays and he prays and then when his answer comes he goes really <laughs> have you ever prayed for something and then when God did it you were a little bit surprised you thought oh I, I didn't know you'd do that God okay thank you this is what I believe I believe 
I believe we've all given a measure of faith. We see that in Scripture. In fact, there's a story in uh, the New Testament. Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he has this incredible moment with some of his disciples, and he comes off the side of the mountain, and he descends into this chaos. Some of his disciples had been ministering, and there was a man who had a child who, um, who had maybe epilepsy, but it, it looked like he was demon-possessed, and he's trying to get his son healed, and his son isn't being healed. The disciples are praying for him, and nothing's happening. And so Jesus shows up, and he's going, what's happening? And they say, and the dad says, hey, I brought my child to you. Um, he, he's not being healed. And Jesus says, oh, you have little faith, right? He calls out his disciples, and he says, how much longer am I going to have to contend with you? How much longer am I going to have to put up with you? And then he talks to the dad, and he says, hey, okay, dad, tell me what's going on. And the dad says, and, and Jesus says, well, listen, all things are possible for him who believes. And this man responds back to him, and he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I love this passage. It's so reassuring to me to say, okay, God, I do believe, but I don't know if I believe all the way. I believe, I know you can, I just, I don't know, I still have a little bit of doubt. I still have this, this feeling that I'm struggling, I'm not sure, God. And Jesus doesn't hold that up against him, he heals his son. So what we see here with Zechariah is, um, I really believe, and I wouldn't make doctrine over this, but I really believe that when we, when we see this picture of what's going on, that God wants us to, to pray for things that are beyond what we can actually believe. I believe God wants to pray such big prayers that, um, that we're a little bit surprised when he answers the prayers. That we know fully he can, but it's so big that when he does, we go, wow, wow. See, what happens so many times for us is we pray small prayers. We, we pray weak prayers. A lot of times we pray prayers that we could answer ourselves if we wanted to bad enough. And then we wonder why we've lost the awe of God. Because we can do it ourselves most of the time. But I think what God wants us to do is pray such big prayers that when he answers our prayers, we go, whoa, wow, can you believe that? He wants to restore awe to us. Not only that, but I think God wants us to, to believe, to pray and believe in spite of the delay we see. Because um, we hate waiting don't we? Um, we want what we want, and we want it five minutes ago. We don't want it right now. Why didn't you already know I wanted this, right? We want things quickly. And what we have to do is, is understand that, that sometimes with God there's a delay, and we need to be patient. We need to wait. Waiting is part of God's process for us. The truth is, God looks at time much differently than we do. Uh, we won't get into all this, but there's, um, there's a philosophy that says that God is not outside of time. I personally believe God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. So if God wants to exist outside of time and inside of time, he's perfectly capable of doing that because he's God. But there's this idea that God can't exist outside of time because the way timeline works, all those kind of things. But I'm just telling you today, I truly believe God exists outside of time because he created time. So, so when God looks at time, he doesn't look at it in the same way we do. Because we look at time and we say, I've got 80 or 90 or 100 years on earth. And we feel like that's a long time. But it is not. Especially if we could view our 100 years or however long it might be in the span of eternity. Because that's how God sees things. And if, if I can even take this a step further, God is, I think even God is outside of eternity. 
God is so big that he looks at our lives and it is momentary. And so we get so hung up on our timelines and we go, okay, God, um, this is my five-year plan and this is how we're gonna do it and I just need you to sign off on it, okay? You don't even need to worry about it, just rubber stamp it and this is how it's gonna happen. And I think when God hears that from us, he just goes, <laughs> I don't think so, right? Because God doesn't care about our timelines. This is what I've realized. God is more interested in his purpose than our timelines because he doesn't care about our timelines. He cares about his purpose being fulfilled. Um, so a few weeks ago, um, Pastor Ricky, he posted on social media, he said, uh, how do you cook a turkey in the microwave? <laughs> now, for the record, he was not being serious. Uh, he was just joking. But it was fun to see people responding, and they were, they were just incredulous. I can't believe you'd cook a turkey in the microwave. And there's some people would laugh. Um, but, but if we could do this, wouldn't we be okay with it, right? Like... Wouldn't we all eat turkey in 20 minutes rather than four hours if we could? Sure. But you can't do that because you, you can't cook a turkey all the way through in a microwave in 20 minutes. Um, th there's a process. It takes longer, right? Now, you can get married to your 20 minutes and go, I'm eating turkey in 20 minutes. I don't care what happens. And you can put your turkey in the microwave and you could 20 minutes, you take it out and ah, it's hot. And you, all right, it's ready. And you start biting into it and you're like, oh, this is not done, Right? but I don't care, it's my 20 minutes, I'm gonna eat my turkey. You're probably gonna get some sort of foodborne pathogen from that, right? You're gonna, <laughs> the turkey went in, but it's coming out pretty quick, probably, after you did that, right? <laughs> Why? Because the process wasn't fulfilled. It wasn't cooked. So you can do whatever you want. You're gonna be unhappy, though, because the process wasn't fulfilled. The purpose for that turkey was to be cooked all the way through, and it takes longer. So you can get married to your timeline if you want and say, God, this is the way it's gonna happen. If it doesn't happen this way, then something's wrong. But guess what? God doesn't care about your timeline. What he cares about is that his purpose is fulfilled, that the process happens to get you where you need to be. Amen. So we get so hung up with the timeline. It's not happening when I want it. God doesn't care. God cares about is my purpose being fulfilled. You know what? Uh, God saw sovereignly. He saw when John the Baptist needed to be born in order to have it coincide with Jesus' life, to have it overlap so that he could be the forerunner and the frontrunner. He knew what he was doing. His purpose is more important than our timeline. Let me skip down. Um, verse 24 uh, Elizabeth hears that she's going to have a baby, and her response is this in verse 25. I'm sorry. It says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So at this point, she says, you know what? I'm advanced in years. I'm older. Um, I probably shouldn't be having a baby at this point, but you know what? God is good because he has not forgotten me. He has seen me, and he's taking away my reproach. That stigma that was on me because I couldn't have a baby, God is taking that away. So our God is good. I believe that's something she probably knew throughout while that, this waiting period. She knew, but it was confirmed to her. God is good in spite of what I'm dealing with. Let me skip down verse 45. Um, so uh, Mary, <clears throat> Mary is the mother of Jesus. Um, and um, we are going to talk about Mary soon. Uh, she'll be one of the stories we tell. But, uh, but Mary... Uh, is the mother of Jesus, and when she found out she was pregnant with Jesus, the same way Gabriel came to her and said, 
hey, got good news for you. You're pregnant. She said, how could this be? I'm a virgin. And after she told people about this, there were some people that were uh, questioning her story, if I can say it like that. Because can you imagine if uh, somebody you knew, a teenager, showed up and they're like, yeah, I'm pregnant. And you're like, oh, wow, okay. Uh, well, who's the father? Well, the Holy Spirit. You'd be like, I don't think so, right? <laughs> I don't care how spiritual you are. You would not believe that that was true. And, and Mary encountered some of that. And so uh, it, was, it behooved her to leave and go spend some time with family. So she actually went and spent about three months with uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. So she showed up to the house. And in Luke chapter one, we see that she showed up to the house. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, the baby, John the Baptist, inside of her womb leapt with joy when he heard that. And so Mary responds in verse 45, and she blesses Elizabeth, and this is what she says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She says, blessed is she who believes when she shouldn't believe anymore. The person who waits patiently is blessed because they believe when they shouldn't believe anymore. When the circumstances say, stop believing, you're too old to have this baby. When the circumstances say, you're never going to meet the right woman or you're never going to meet the right guy. When the circumstances say, you're never going to get out of this debt. When the circumstances say, you can never fix this marriage. Blessed is she or he who believes that the promise is still good. I want to encourage you in that today because maybe you're waiting and waiting and waiting and you feel like there's no reason to continue to believe. I'm telling you, blessed is the person who believes in spite of what they see around them. So verse 57 says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. So everybody was celebrating, and verse 59 says this, um, And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. Now it was the father's right to name the child, and typically it was not uncommon to name the child after the father. So Jewish custom was on the eighth day, the child would be circumcised, and that's when they would give them a name. Um, and so the, the mother said, we're going to name him John. And they immediately were like, okay, this can't be right, okay? Because number one, you're the mama, and mamas aren't the ones naming babies. It's the dad, right? So this can't be right. And number two, John, what are you talking about? When we look at the name Zechariah, it means remembered of Jehovah. And Jehovah is... Um, the way in the English language, we've kind of butchered the way you say Yahweh in, in, in the Hebrew. And so it's remember, remembered of Yahweh, remembered of God is what, what Zechariah means, which is a great name because, again, they were, these were people who thought they might have been forgotten by God. They'd been waiting and waiting and waiting. But we see here, that's not his name. His name's going to be John. And it says in verse 61, and they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. What they were saying is, nobody's ever done it this way before. Nobody in our family has ever done that this way before. What they're saying before, here is, this is unusual. This is not normal. Why would you do this? And I'm telling you today, when you're obedient to God, he's going to ask you to do some things that the people around you are going to say, that's not normal. That's unusual. That's not common. Why, why would you do that? Why would you go there? Why would you break off relationship? Why would you stop doing this? Why would you start doing that? That's weird. But, but this is what I would tell you. Uncommon stories are told by people with uncommon obedience. 
If you want to live a life that's great for God, you're going to have to do something that no one else will do. You're going to have to be willing to go places and give some things up that nobody else is willing to do or or go or give up. It's just true. (laughs) Uncommon stories aren't told by people who have common practices. Um, I'm going to call you out. Eric Bone, I love you. You know why Eric is shaped the way he is? Because he works out, right? He does something most of us don't want to do. And there's a reason he gets these results. Do you, know what I, you want to know why I'm shaped the way I am? Because I have common practices, right? If you want to do something uncommon, it begins with you saying, God, I'm all in. I'm going to do something no one else will do. I'm going to pay a price no one else will pay. I'm going to be obedient to what you're asking me to do, even if it looks strange, even if it's weird, even if it's different. I want to see uncommon results. Thanks for being an illustration, Eric. I love you. Verse 62 says, And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. So they went from the mom to the dad, and they said, uh, He has asked for a writing tablet, which he hadn't asked for a writing tablet, by the way, because he was still mute. He couldn't talk. So remember, at least nine months, maybe ten months of no speaking for this guy. How happy do you think Elizabeth was? Um, So they brought him a writing tablet, and he wrote and said, his name is John, and they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. How many of us, if we had been mute for 10 months, the first thing we say would be to bless God? If we're going to be honest, a lot of us would be like, I can't believe he did that to me. He hadn't been able to communicate, hadn't been able to talk, hadn't been able to share his feelings, nothing for 10 months. And the first words out of his mouth is blessing to God. I'm not a victim. I'm I'm blessed. God has given me a child. God has done so much. I love that perspective. See, the the name John means Jehovah is a gracious giver. So in spite of their waiting, they'd waited years for a child. He had waited months to be able to speak again. And in spite of that, he didn't say, you know what, God was mean because he didn't give us a child earlier. Do you know what they they named their child John and said, God is a gracious giver. You know what they're really saying? If we can put it in our common vernacular here at Summit Church, God is radically generous. God has given us so much. Yes, he took my voice for nine months or 10 months. Yes, it took forever to see the promise fulfilled. But God is radically generous. He's so good. Listen to this. In verse 65, it says, And fear came on all the neighbors, and all the things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. You know, when I was a kid, um, I was waiting for Christmas. I was never disappointed when Christmas rolled around. It was always good. And it wasn't because my parents were extravagantly wealthy and I got all the things I wanted. I didn't always get everything on my wish list because um, I know some things now that I didn't know then. I thought Santa was just a jerk sometimes when I was a kid. Now I realize that there's a, a finite amount of money to buy all the things you need, right? And so when I, when I, <laughs> when I, I look back, I realize I had great Christmases when I was a kid. I was never disappointed. It was always worth the wait every single time. And I think if you asked Elizabeth and if you asked Zechariah, was this child worth the wait? Without hesitation, they would have said absolutely. Absolutely, it was worth the wait. 
Did you, did you hear what the people were saying? What then could this child be? Who could this child become? The possibilities are endless on what he could do, what he could accomplish, who he could become. And as a parent, I'm sure they delighted in that, saying, God, it was worth it. Yes, it was a long road to get us here, but God, it's worth it to see what you're doing now. See, I said this earlier, but they waited for years for this child. And I think they would say it was worth the wait. He waited months to be able to speak. And really, this is a picture of Israel and the world waiting on a Messiah, waiting on Jesus. They waited and waited and waited, and it was worth the wait. So my question to you today is simple. It's this. What do you do when you're waiting on God? What do you do? What we see throughout Scripture and we see in our own lives is that many people quit before their prayers answered. They give up before they ever see their promise. We see many people settle for something less than God's best. But, but people of God, people that are committed, people that are obedient, they're going to wait patiently. In spite of their circumstances, in spite of what they see, in spite of what they feel, they're going to say, God, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I, I trust you. God, this might take longer than I would like, but I know there's a process at work. I know that there's something going on that I can't see, so I trust you. And that's my challenge to you today. How are you waiting for Christmas? Let's pray together. Lord, we love you, and we're so grateful. Uh, we're grateful for your timing. It doesn't always seem to be our timing, but God, we know we can trust you. God, I thank you for people in this room, people watching online that uh, maybe they've been waiting for a long time for, for their prayer to be answered. And I'm asking today that you just give them patience, give them peace. God, let them see that you are working behind the scenes, that you're doing something that no one can do on their own. So God, I pray just for a sense of peace in this place today, a sense of comfort, God. God, I pray, uh, Lord, for those that are here that don't know you, that have never experienced your promise of relationship and reconciliation. God, I pray that, Lord, today we would respond to you and that our hearts would be made right before you, God, that we would take on your righteousness. So have your way with us today. Be glorified here. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed and nobody's looking around, I just want to ask, if you're here today and you say to me, Mel, you know what? I'm not really walking with the Lord. I'm not in relationship with Jesus, but I know I need to be. I'm tired of waiting and I want to experience God. Maybe you've tried to find fulfillment in all kinds of different things, relationships, activities, hobbies, all these things, but you just realize I've never really found what I've needed and I'm tired of looking. I'm, I want Jesus. If that's you today, I'm not gonna embarrass you or make you come forward. I just wanna pray with you right where you're at. So if you're here today, you say, Mel, I wanna, I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life today. With nobody looking around, would you raise your hand real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Thank you, ma'am, over here on my right. Praise God. Who else? Yeah, thank you, over here on my right. I see you. Yeah, over here on my left. Thank you. Yeah, I see you, ma'am. Praise God. Who else would join these and say, pray for me, Mel? I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. Thank you. Yeah, I see you guys over here on my right. Thank you. Praise the Lord. 
I'd like every person in this place, place, whether you raised your hand or not, just to pray this really simple prayer with me. Say this today. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for waiting for me to make this decision to follow you. I'm asking that you would take my life and use it for your glory. Help me leave behind my old ways, my old habits, and my old life. From this day forward, I am yours and you are mine. So thank you for saving me and for forgiving me of all my sin. I love you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I just want you to know I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. Uh, God's got a, a plan for you that exceeds what you can even imagine. And I want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So if you prayed that prayer today, I'd love for you to take a second and fill this card out. Uh, it'll take you about one minute to fill it out. On one side, it says need, sal- uh, need prayer. Uh, you don't need to hit that if you don't want to. On the other side, salvation. If you prayed that prayer today, fill this card out. Drop it in one of our offering boxes before you leave. Let us know about your decision so we can help you take the next step in your faith journey. If you're here today and you can't reach one of those cards or maybe you're watching online and you'd like to respond, you can simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. And when you do that, we're gonna respond back to you again and help you take the next step in your faith journey. Here's what's gonna happen right now. These guys are gonna lead us in one final song. We're gonna worship together. As we do, our prayer team is gonna make their way forward and they're gonna be available to pray with you about whatever may be going on in your life. So if you need prayer for any reason, please don't leave today without letting one of our team members pray with you. After we finish singing in just a moment, uh, the, the Pastor Todd is gonna to come and he'll close us out and dismiss us. Uh, so let's worship together. Let's go after God in this last song together and let's see what he does. So stand to your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go today. Guys, I tell you often, but I want you to remember, I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys.